Once upon a time, there was... Good evening, ladies. Those opening words always uh, catch our attention. Words like once upon a time or long, long ago or even in the beginning, they catch our attention and we lean in. We want to see what's coming because it sounds like a story is beginning. And we all love stories. We love to hear them. We love to read them. Sometimes we love to tell them. And we all have favorite stories. We have our favorite stories uh, right now, and we have those favorite children's stories. I would have loved to have been at each one of your tables and listened to the discussion as you talked about your favorite story when you were a child. I, uh, in getting ready for this, asked my children and my grandchildren, what was the favorite story that I read to them when they were little? Now, I just want to give you a warning, because the first two that I asked said, yes, and you gave that book away. Uh, oops, <laughs> sorry, uh, but yes, I think I did. Um, my grandson Dylan, he liked Frog and Toad Are Friends, and you might know that book, and I think he liked it best because it came with a little frog and toad that looked just like the main characters, and by the way, I still have that one. Um, and then my granddaughters, they all love the storybooks that I brought home from uh, the African mission trip. They were different folk tales. They were colorful books, and these folk tales explained why the African animals look like they did or why they acted like they did, such as the crafty chameleon or how the greedy zebra got his stripes. We all love stories. Jonathan Murphy said a few weeks ago in his sermon that we love stories because God made us that way. Why? Because God is a storyteller. His word, the Bible, is filled with stories, and they all make up one big story, God's story of love and salvation and relationship for human beings. God, the holy God of the universe, loves us, and he wants to be in relationship with us, you and me. So we're part of his story. We see ourselves in these stories when we read the Bible. We can relate to them. And sometimes, some of them even become our favorites. So this summer, we're going to have five different teachers. And each week, one of them is going to come and share their favorite New Testament story. Now, you may hear your favorite story this summer. Or maybe you will hear one that becomes your new favorite story. And no matter how many times you've heard these stories, it's okay. Because God's word is alive and powerful. Each time we read it, it's fresh, bringing you new insights, learning something new about God or yourself or others. You know, we can never come to the end of reading God's word, never, because every time we read it, we find something new and exciting. We find the word changing us. And the reason for that, well, it's in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. This is God speaking. On your extra verse sheet there, it says, God speaking, and he says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Every time. God's word goes out every time we read it. It accomplishes the purpose that he has meant for that. 
I'm Deb Haygood. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and it is a great joy. It is a great uh, privilege for me to be here with all of you. I love summer Women in the Word. I love it. It's light outside. It's relaxed. And I just want to thank you so much for coming and being a part of this summer study. And I'm really delighted that I get to share my favorite New Testament story with you. And it is uh, in Luke 24, and it's going to start with verse 13. You've been looking at some of that. Sometimes this story is called The Road to Emmaus. Now, truthfully, I have many favorite stories. But when I was thinking my favorite story, this is the one that first came to mind. And I thought, why is that? Why is this my favorite story? And I think one reason is because I like to walk. I like to walk, and we see the um, people in this story walking. Now, I cannot run. I'm just going to tell you that. I was telling a friend the other day, I can't run. I, I start out, and after just a few steps, my lungs are burning. I, am, I cannot run. But I can walk a long ways for a long time, and I love to walk with other people. I love to walk and talk. And oftentimes, when I am talking to Jesus, I picture myself walking with him walking with him. I even talk about my relationship with him as my walk with Jesus. Now, some of you may um, say that as well. You may call your relationship with Jesus your walk with Jesus. You read something and you tell someone, I read this verse, and it's really made a difference in my walk with Jesus. Some people just call it their faith life, or maybe they call it their relationship with Jesus. But most of the time, I say my walk with Jesus So that's one reason. The second reason I think I really like this story is because we see Jesus teaching from the scriptures these travelers that are in this story. He is teaching from the Bible. And at that time, it would have been the Old Testament. And I love the Old Testament. And every time I read this story, I think to myself, what was he teaching them? What was he saying as he taught them from the Bible. So keep those two things in mind. You'll see those as we read along. And let's begin um, this real and true story, this great story, my favorite story. We're going to start Luke 24. Look at verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Okay, we got to stop right there because it says that very day. What very day? What does that mean? that day. And then also, two of them. Who's them? So we realize as we begin this story that we need to go back and look at the verses that came before this, even the chapters that came before this, so we know what's been going on so that we can tell what's happening in this story. And that's what you all did in your discussion time. You looked at some of those chapters and verses, and you saw that in chapter 23, the one chapter uh, before this, that Jesus was being taken to different trials. He was taken before um, Pilate, and he was condemned to death. And Pilate said, okay, crucify him. He didn't want to, but he said, okay, crucify him. They go out, they nail him to a tree. And then we read in chapter 23, verse 46, look at verse 46, just glance over there one little bit. And it says, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He breathed his last. 
And so Jesus, hung on a cross, has died. He's died. And in verse 50, we read how Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and asks for his body. Now, Joseph of Arimathea, we read that he was part of that Jewish council. He was part of those Jewish religious leaders, but he didn't agree with them. He didn't want Jesus to be arrested. He didn't want Jesus to be killed. I think he was a follower of Jesus. So he bravely asks Pilate for the body, and Pilate says yes, and so he takes it to his own tomb. No one has ever been laid in there before, and he puts Jesus in this tomb. And then we read in verse 54, it was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. Now, when it says preparation day, that is the Friday before Saturday. Saturday is the Sabbath, and under Jewish law, God's command, they were to rest on the Sabbath. They couldn't cook. They couldn't do things. They couldn't do any work. And so they prepared all of the food. They prepared everything they would need the day before, on Friday, the preparation day. And the Sabbath began at sundown on Friday night. So we see here that um, Sabbath is about to begin, and Joseph is in a hurry. He's in a hurry. And then look at verse 55. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the command. Now, these women, they had been traveling along with Jesus. They were from Galilee up north. They had been going, following with, they had been with him as over these um, months. And they followed Joseph of Arimathea to see where Jesus is being placed so that they can come back and anoint the body of Jesus with spices and ointments. That's how they embalmed the dead bodies. But they can't do it now because the Sabbath is about to begin, and they must be back where they're all staying in Jerusalem. Now, it's thought that there was a big group of followers of Jesus, including the 11 disciples, and that they all were staying in one place, one big room. And so it says they stayed put on Saturday, the Sabbath, but then early Sunday morning, look what happens. Chapter 24 now, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and they were frightened. So here they go. It's now Sunday morning, early, early, and they are going back to the tomb with their spices and ointments. And when they get there, no one's in the tomb. Jesus is gone. And they see these two dazzling men. Those are angels. And those angels, you read, they went on to tell them that uh, Jesus isn't here. They say, why are you looking for him among the dead? He is risen. Remember, he told you that he would be crucified. And on the third day, he would rise. And it says the woman, women remembered. There is uh, one place on your extra verse sheet, Matthew 20. Um, Jesus actually told them about his coming death several times. They just didn't quite grasp it. But in Matthew 20, 18, we see Jesus saying this, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. He had told them, but they just couldn't quite grasp it. 
But it says the women remembered, and so they run back to tell the other followers of Jesus and the 11 disciples. But what happens when they tell them the story? Look at verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. They didn't believe them. They thought, what on earth? That sounds like nonsense. That sounds like you're making up this story. And they didn't believe them. Hey, I want to just give a shout out to the women. At least they remembered that Jesus had said that. So we see that next thing that happens, Peter jumps up and he runs to the tomb. He's going to look. And we know from the Gospel of John that John also goes with them, follows behind him. And they get to the tomb and they look in. And sure enough, no one's there. Jesus is gone. He is not there. And Peter returns and he is puzzled. He is perplexed. And that brings us now to verse 13. And so when it says our story begins that very day, that very day, it's Sunday. It's still Sunday, that day that the women had gone to the tomb. Um, Jesus was crucified on Friday and died, and then he was buried. And Saturday was the Sabbath, and now it's Sunday. We might say the first Easter Sunday. And when it says two of them, them, that's the followers of Jesus. That's part of that group that had followed Jesus, that were in that room together with the disciples. They were part of those men and women who had lived with Jesus up in Galilee, and they had traveled with him and had been in the countryside with him. They had seen Jesus teaching and preaching and healing and working miracles. They had seen all that. They were part of those people following Jesus. And now these two are going to a town called Emmaus. And we don't know exactly where that is, but we do know from what scripture just said here, it was seven miles from Jerusalem. And tradition tells us it was to the northwest of Jerusalem. So on your map, you have that on your table, you can see what we, where we think Emmaus was, and that's kind of north and to the left, to the west of Jerusalem. By the way, keep that map, bring it back with you next week, because we're going to look on your map at all the different places that um, each story represents each week. So bring your map back with you. But for now, we're talking about Emmaus. Now, we don't know why they're going there. Maybe it's their home. But I noticed something for the first time when I studied this story, something new. And that is when they're going to Emmaus, they are going away from Jerusalem. They are going away from the disciples, away from the other followers of Jesus. Hmm. Keep that thought in your mind. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. So let's see what happens with verse 14. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. So they are walking along, and they are talking about all the things that have happened. What are those things? Maybe Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then all the different trials that had held all night long, and maybe the brutality that Jesus had suffered. And then finally, the crucifixion, being nailed to the cross, and Jesus' death, and now his body is gone. This is a deep conversation, ladies. They're not talking about the weather. They're not 
talking about what they're going to have for dinner. They are intently talking about what has happened, what's going on. And I think they might be saying, what in the world? What does this mean? If I was walking with them, I would have been, what on earth? What on earth, people? We know from what we've already read uh, in the beginning of chapter 24 that they are sad and confused and perplexed and puzzled, probably in shock. They are grief-stricken as they discuss the death of Jesus. And while they are intently talking, Jesus walks up beside them, but they do not recognize him. Now, why do they not recognize him? You know, some say that it's because they were walking to the northwest and the sun from the west was in their eyes. Maybe possible, um, but I don't think so. Some say that Jesus uh, is in his glorified body, not earthly body. It's a little bit different, and maybe it was just enough different that that caused them to not recognize him. But I think we really have the answer here when it says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I think God himself kept them from recognizing Jesus until the time was right, until they understood why all these things had happened. And then Jesus says, what is this deep discussion you're having? What are you talking about? And they sat, stand still, and they look sad. They, uh, some translations say, they're downcast. They are down in the depths. If there was any uh, doubt about what they were feeling when they left Jerusalem, here we know. They are sad. They are very sad. They are downcast. And then it says, look at verse um, 17, no, 18. And then one of them named Cleopas answered him. So let's stop right there for a second because um, Cleopas, finally we know the name of one. We don't know anything about him. Um, And who is this other person? Well, some people think it was just another follower of Jesus that was going along with him. Some think that it could have been Luke, the author of this book. But one theologian I read thought it could have been his wife. And that makes sense to me. And on your extra verse sheet, you're going to see John 19, 25. John tells us this. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister. There was Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, Clopas, it's pretty close to Cleopas. Maybe that's the same guy. And his wife is named Mary. And they are going to Emmaus. I have a picture of this. Let's put that up, if you will. Um, I love this picture. There's many of the road to Emmaus. But I like this because I think that one person looks like a woman. I think, um, and I'm sort of in favor of thinking this is Cleopas and his wife Mary going to Emmaus. So love that picture. So then let's see what um, they say next. He says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus says to them, what things? I think that's interesting when he's talking about, are you the only person, the only traveler to Jerusalem that doesn't know this? This is the time of the Passover. You might remember that. And that is um, a big time to observe the Passover, celebrate it. And so pilgrims from all over, Jewish people from all over Israel and other countries around all come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So there were many, many people uh, in Jerusalem at that time. And from what Cleopas tells us here, it sounds like they all were hearing about Jesus and the crucifixion. They all knew what was happening. 
Now, I think that uh, Cleopas sounds a little bit uh, testy here, maybe a little critical. Did you think that? Kind of a a little um, maybe edge of anger to him. And I get that because when I'm really sad, sometimes I say things and they sound a little angry. So I kind of get that. But Jesus isn't bothered. He just says, what things? What things? And so not recognizing Jesus, they begin to explain all that is going on and the crucifixion of Jesus. Look at verse 18 there. It says, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. So we can see from this, they knew Jesus really well. They say he's a prophet. A prophet is one that speaks God's very words. And that's what they're saying. He spoke God's words. He was mighty indeed. He had done miracles. He had healed people. He was also mighty in word before God and all the people. They knew who Jesus was. They knew him pretty well. And then they go on to say, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. So they even know what's happened. They knew who's responsible here. It's the Jewish leadership that's arrested Jesus and then sent him off to the Romans to be crucified, to be condemned to death. So they know what is happening. And then verse 19, I mean, verse 20, they say, 21, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. They share with Jesus their shattered dreams. Did you see that? Their hope is crushed because they had hoped that Jesus was the redeemer of Israel. They had hoped that he was the one that had come to save them, to save them from the oppression of the Romans. But now Jesus is dead. Jesus is dead and their dreams are shattered. Apparently they were part of the group that was in that room when the women came back because they heard the story. They even knew that they'd seen angels. They even kind of sound like they thought it sounded like a crazy story. They were there when Peter and John ran off to the tomb and came back, said they didn't see him. They didn't see Jesus. Jesus is dead and gone, and they are so focused on their disappointment and confusion, filled with doubts, they're hopeless, that they leave Jerusalem, and they are going to Emmaus. They are going away from the group of believers, the followers of Jesus, in their disappointment and in their hopelessness. Now, I don't want to be too hard on them because, truthfully, I have done that same thing. Maybe you have as well. Something really hard, something very difficult happens, and you don't understand it. Maybe you lose someone or you lose something. Maybe a dream is shattered and you're deeply disappointed and you have doubts and you're confused and you begin to turn away from Jesus and you begin to turn away from other believers, other believers who can encourage me and speak wisdom to me and point me back to Jesus. We begin to turn away from them as well. 
I think this is such a great application for us. Ladies, let's not walk away from Jesus. Don't turn away from him. Instead, walk with Jesus, honestly sharing your troubles and your doubts and your disappointments and your sadness and your questions. Those questions, and you know what they are. Why this? Why now? How long, Lord? And sometimes when we're really down, we say, do you even care? Do you care? Are you really good? How can this be good? Walk with Jesus sharing those questions because Jesus wants you to share those feelings with him. Jesus loves you, and he is merciful. Sometimes we don't share those feelings because we think it's kind of negative, and and even though we're thinking it and feeling it, we don't want to say it. But the truth is, when we share those doubts and confusion, it opens the floodgates of his love and compassion for us. That's who Jesus is. That's why he came. When we are the most broken, the most needy, Jesus has the most mercy to pour out on us. Dane Ortland says in his book, Gentle and Lowly, it is not our loveliness that wins his love. It is our unloveliness. It's those times when we're in deep despair that Jesus has the most love and mercy to give us. Jesus loves us. Jesus has compassion for us. Jesus wants us to share those feelings because Jesus is the one, the only one that can bring us hope when our hope is gone. So let's go on here and let's see how Jesus restores hope to these two travelers. Look at verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Love those verses. Now, when Jesus says foolish ones there, that um, translated in Greek means dull of perception. It means that they have failed to perceive, failed to understand how the scriptures applied to Jesus Christ. They had heard the Old Testament. They knew some of it, but they didn't really know. They didn't understand how the truth of Jesus was in the midst of that. And when it says slow of heart, they were slow to respond to the testimonies of the prophets regarding Jesus. They didn't understand that it was necessary for him to suffer and die, even though we read that in the Old Testament. But they didn't understand it, and so their thinking was unclear. It was wrong. They were misunderstanding what was going on here because they did not know the Word of God. Jesus had said this um, before to the uh, religious leaders. They certainly should have known the word. But he says in Matthew twenty two twenty nine, Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. That is such a profound statement, and it is still so true today. When I am in error, when my thinking is mixed up and wrong, it's because either I don't understand God's word I don't know or understand some part of it, or I can't grasp the power of God. That's really the cause of all our errors here. We make mistakes because of that. 
So Jesus, he wants them to understand. That's why we're here tonight, to understand. So he begins, verse 27 tells us, with Moses. So Moses, he wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those first five books of the Bible. And then he says the prophets. Well, Samuel was a prophet, first and second Samuel. We just finished studying that. We looked at things in there that talked about Jesus. And then maybe he went on to talk about Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Joel, Micah, Malachi, all those different books of the Bible that talked about Jesus, and he interpreted it to them, revealed to them what they said about himself. And so we learned some things from these verses. One, Jesus is all through the Old Testament. He's all through the Old Testament, those books of Moses and all the prophets. He's seen all throughout it. And the Old Testament is important. It was important to Jesus, and so it should be important to us today. Now, all of God's Word is important. The New Testament is important. But some people think we should only read the New Testament. Sometimes you hear people say, we shouldn't read the Old Testament. That's old. But here's a great verse to prove that false. Jesus is talking from the Old Testament. Jesus thought it was important. All of Scripture is important. And Jesus is telling us this very thing. It's foolish. We are foolish if we don't allow the Bible to influence our thinking and actions. Still true for us today. Another question that I had as I read this story, why does Jesus pick these two followers to walk with them and talk with them for seven miles? They don't seem especially important to me. We don't even know who one of them is for sure. And the other one, Cleopas, we don't know anything about him. They don't seem too important. And I think maybe that's the point because Jesus is personal and he cares about us individually. He cares about you and me, just like he cared about those two disciples of his that had walked away. Did you notice he's not mad at them? He doesn't just kind of wave his hand and say, okay, enough of you. If that's what you think, just go on. No, he cares about them. He wants to dispel their doubt. He wants to clear up their confusion and answer their questions. He wants them to understand, and he brings them understanding through the scriptures. Wow, what personal love that is. And that is the same personal love, individual overwhelming, lavish love that he has for each one of us, for you. So I wonder what Jesus taught them. What did he teach these guys? Did he start with Genesis 3? That's where sin entered the world. Um, I have on your verse sheet, Genesis 3.15. This is Adam and Eve. You might remember they're in the garden and the serpent, that Satan comes to them and tempts them with the fruit and they eat it and sin enters the world. And this is God talking in 3.15, and he says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And that is a reference to Jesus. And he says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus would come to earth to crush Satan, but Jesus would also be wounded. Maybe He talked about the tabernacle in Exodus. Maybe he talked about the sacrificial system, the animals that were sacrificed because the blood 
was needed to cover their sin, to make atonement for their sin. And they had to do it over and over and over again every time they sinned. Maybe he talked about Leviticus 17, 11. I have that on your verse sheet. Um, a paraphrase of that is this, the shedding of blood is necessary for the forgiveness of sin. It's necessary for the forgiveness of sin. And maybe he explained to them how he was the sin sacrifice, the perfect sin sacrifice that once for all would die to shed his blood for you and me, for each of us. Maybe he talked about Psalm 22. That's David's prophetic psalm. I don't know that David even knew it was prophetic, but it's about Jesus. Look at Psalm 22:16. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And surely Jesus taught them from Isaiah. From Isaiah, especially chapter 53. You might want to read that whole chapter tomorrow. It's a great chapter. I have just a few verses on there. But Isaiah 53 is about the suffering servant, how Jesus had to suffer and die so that we might have forgiveness in life. Look at Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus suffered and died so that we might have forgiveness and life and peace, it says. Peace. I don't know what else that he talked about. I think about it. Some of the other maybe minor prophets, Zechariah, maybe those verses in Malachi that talk about Jesus coming back. But all those many miles to Emmaus, those two travelers, they walked with Jesus intently listening. They were intently listening to every word he had to say, listening carefully. And their hearts were stirred within them as they understood. And they so loved what he was saying that they didn't want him to go. Stay, stay. Look at verse um, 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked to us, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? You know, um, I've heard it say, said that Jesus never um, forces himself on us. And just like in this situation, they're saying, stay, Jesus, stay. Jesus waits to be invited in. He waits for each one of us to invite him into our lives. And then he comes in and he stays. In this story, Jesus goes into their home. They sits down with them. They eat. He breaks the bread, passes it out after he blesses it. And it says their eyes are opened. They recognize him. It's Jesus. The time is right. 
They now understand why Jesus had to die. They understand about his death and resurrection from his teaching of the scripture. It makes sense to them. And now God opens their eyes and they recognize him. As Jesus walked and talked with them, the meaning of life becomes clear. Their darkness becomes light. Their doubts are dispelled. And from hopelessness, they now realize he is their hope. Jesus is their hope. And then in verse 32, we saw there that he vanished from their sight. We see other places in the scriptures where um, after the resurrection, Jesus suddenly appears or suddenly disappears or walks through doors. It's part of that glorified body. It's a little different from the earthly body. I don't quite understand it, but I know that one day when we're in glory, we will have a glorified body. Yeah, look me up. I'm going to be standing there saying, look, finally, glorified body. We're all kind of waiting for that. I think I'm going to look just right. So, um, yeah, we get a glorified body when we get to heaven. They said their hearts burned within them. Their hearts were stirred as Jesus explained his death and resurrection from the scriptures. They understood and they believe. And now they have life and hope. Life and hope. They're filled with joy. And Jesus wants this for us as well. Jesus wants to bring us life and hope. His death, death and resurrection for you was for you and for me as well. His shed blood is to cover your sin. And all we have to do is believe in him. Now, most of you in here probably have already done that. You've trusted in Jesus. But if someone's here, if you're here and you have never put your trust in Jesus, maybe just right now, sitting in that seat, just close your eyes and just tell him, I believe in you, Jesus, and feel your heart stir within you. Receive eternal life and eternal relation with him that starts right now. It's life abundant right now, every day, until we go on to glory and then on for eternity. And our hope is confirmed. Hope confirmed. Now, hope is not just that wishful thinking, I hope I get a pony for Christmas. No, this is hope that is for sure and certain, for sure and certain hope because of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. Jesus can give us understanding in our everyday life, and you know those times. You've experienced that. You've been reading his word, or you hear a sermon, or maybe it's sometimes at Women in the Word. It's kind of a light bulb moment. You get something. Some truth makes sense to you, and your heart is stirred. It burns within you as you learn something about Jesus, and there's understanding understanding, and that brings us joy. Jesus can give us understanding so that our doubts are dispelled and our dreams are um, become restored. Now, they may look different because um, our desires may be changed, but Jesus wants us to have dreams restored. Jesus wants our hope confirmed. So, as you walk with Jesus every day, Listen to him as you read and as you study his word. Listen to him as you walk with Jesus. So let's just, a few more verses here, and let's finish up this story. Look at verse 33. 
And they rose that same hour, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And then they told them what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. They are so excited. They are so filled with hope and joy that they have to go and tell the others. They have to go back and tell those other followers, those other disciples. They have to let them know what Jesus had told them, that this was all part of the plan, that Jesus is the Messiah, and he came to save us, save us from our sin and death. Jesus is alive, and they can't wait to go back. They don't say, hey, let's get a couple winks of sleep and we'll get up in the morning fresh and then we'll go back. No, they leave immediately. Now, remember, ladies, they've already walked seven miles. That's a pretty long ways. And now they're going to walk back seven more miles. And they don't have really comfy uh, walking shoes like I have. I, I started to put up a picture of my walking shoes, but instead I have a picture of what they probably were wearing if they weren't barefoot. Um, just a piece of leather on the bottom, and then it's laced up around their feet and around their ankles. Now, I guess it might give them some protection if you stepped on a stone, but I'm not sure how far I could walk in those kind of shoes. But walk they do, and when they get back seven miles back to the 11 disciples and those other Jesus followers, they find them talking about Jesus appearing to Simon Peter. And they're saying, he is risen He is risen indeed. And then it says these two travelers, these two believers in Jesus, share their story, what happened on the road, all those things that Jesus had told them, and how he came in and broke the bread, and they recognized him. They walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They listened to Jesus, and they were changed. They were changed. Their hearts burned within them. They found hope enjoy, and they wanted to share it. They wanted to share their understanding. As you walk with Jesus, experiencing his loving presence, share your joy and hope and understanding with others. Share it with others. You know, this favorite story stands out as a beautiful picture of Jesus' compassion and mercy and care and love for those who are discouraged who are confused, who are doubting those needing his presence and comfort. Sounds a lot like you and me at times. We need Jesus, his presence and comfort. As you walk with him, experience that. I have one final illustration. I'm going to read uh, Matthew 11, 29 through 30. This is Jesus talking, talking to us. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When I was a kid growing up, my dad had a yoke over our fireplace, and it was handmade. I think it was his great, uh, my great-great-uncle that had handmade this yoke. And you know what that is. It's a piece of wood, and it has little wooden places that go over the oxen, or they probably just had some bulls, and goes over it, and they pull the plow. Now, one side was bigger than the other, and so when I asked my dad about that, why why is it, you know, different shapes here? And he said, well, because one of the oxen would be bigger and stronger, 
and would take the burden of that yoke as it pulled the plow. And I thought that's a perfect example of us walking with Jesus, yoked with Jesus. He doesn't want us in front of him. He doesn't want us walking behind him. He wants us walking beside him. And he is going to take the burden because that is who Jesus is. So ladies, let's walk with him. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this story about Jesus. Thank you for his care and love. Thank you, Lord, for the way you love us in our discouragement, our disappointments, our heartaches when we're broken and needy. You come and you're with us. Father, I pray for all these women here that this story would stir their hearts and that, Lord, we would just walk with you. Lord Jesus, every day, walking ever closer to you. We love you, Lord. And we just pray these things in your name. Amen.